Yeah, it is a good morning. Good call. I am so stoked because this is the last service I have to wear this heat-producing hat, man. <laughs> I, like, I don't hate anybody, but I dislike Jason right now more than normal. And uh, No, I'm just kidding. But I'm not wearing the belt because I put the belt on last time. Here's the belt. Belt the truth, right? I, uh, oh, man, I gave away one of the questions I was going to ask you. That stinks. All right, belt the truth's off the table. But anyway, I put it on last service and it fell off, so I'm not doing that. There it is. Everyone sees the belt. If Jason asked you, you saw it. All right. So over the past couple of weeks, Jason has uh, been unpacking the grilling, barbecuing series, right? So we're going to continue that. Um, it takes a special kind of guy to find a marriage between grilling and, uh, and warfare, spiritual warfare, doesn't it? I mean, that's, uh, that's somebody that seriously loves warfare or loves food. I'm going to opt for the food for him. So I was the natural choice to continue this series, not for the reason, go ahead, laugh, well, huh? there's always one, I'll get you later, buddy, um, to continue this series, and it's not because I love food, it's because I understand spiritual warfare. And so I'm going to uh, spend the next uh, lots of minutes, <laughs> we're never leaving today, I'm, le I'm going to camp at three, and I'm totally satisfied with staying all the way till then, so tough luck for you all, but um, we are going to spend some time unpacking spiritual warfare a little bit differently. And so what we're doing is we're addressing the different aspects of the spiritual war that we're engaged in. Make no mistake, if, if you don't think there's spiritual warfare happening, you're a fool. And uh, we are surrounded by things that we can't see that are constantly attacking us and doing everything they can to set snares for us and beset us and cause us to stumble and fall. Because when we fall by the wayside, we're no longer a threat. And the enemy fears us more than you could possibly imagine. As I sat on that front row and I worshiped with you and I, and I recited that phrase, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, it, it sends a, a tinge down my spine. Because for several reasons, number one, I can envision being in God's presence and being totally overwhelmed. I mean, can you close your eyes for a moment and imagine what living color looks like? And how God sits on his throne, he's surrounded by this living color, and we hear holy, 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 and we see the smoke of praise ascending before his throne. And we know that the power of his name, just the mention of his name, sends the enemy fleeing. He can't, he can't even be in the presence. So you see, as we sit and worship together, it's not in my notes, but I want you to know that. As we sit and worship together, the enemy literally can't even be here. These are the moments when we're free of him and his minions because the name of Jesus is far too powerful for him to even stand in his presence. And so he flees. How sweet. But make no mistake, when we walk out of these doors, the fight will ensue all over again. And so as such, the first week, Jason told us about arming ourselves. It's important that we have the right equipment when we grill, isn't it? I don't care what you're grilling, whether you're grilling meat, vegetables, or otherwise. There's a couple of things that you're going to need. A grill would help. <laughs> so, you know, that's a good start unless you want to, like Randy Quaid, use a hot rock in the desert. That'll take a while. That's a good movie reference. You can look that one up on your own. Huh? Did anybody, anybody want to take a stab at it? Come on. Ah, you guys. So another thing that I've actually tried to grill without one time was a spatula. Now... <laughs> You know, it's one of those things that you take for granted until you're standing there and you got something on a 500-degree grill and, and you just got your mitt here, 
you know? There's a reason why I have very little feeling in my hands anymore. I actually broke my finger the other day, and, um, and, and I could still move it around. It's because all my, the nerves in my hands are pretty well cooked, <laughs> you know? And it comes from being stupid and trying to flip things with my bare hands. So anyway, this one particular day, I'm grilling. I forgot my spatula. I have nothing. I mean, I'm like at a park. There's nothing except like a stick maybe or a leaf. And so I decide to just barehand it. Bad call. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, like judo chop underneath it trying to get it to flip over. And it was like, and I'm just crushing it. And then finally, I just reach down and grab it and flip it over. Because if you don't, you got the old one-sided burger going on. You know what I mean? No good. So I decided to do that. So having the right equipment is pretty important. So Jason did talk to us about the equipment that God gives us to fight this battle. Besides the one that I already mentioned, the belt of truth, for sweet and sassy black magic rub. This is like a little commercial, sweet and sassy black magic rub. You know what I'm saying, Fred? Yeah, it's like an infomercial. They owe me now. For said rub, does somebody want to give me another piece of equipment? First come, first serve. Who said that? Bang, come get this. And did you have one? Do you have one besides the helmet? Breastplate of righteousness. That's what I'm talking about. Come on up and get this. You the man. And you know what? Because I hose the, the Saturday night service, I've got two extras that I'll give away here in a second. <laughs> Sorry. If you come on Saturday night, it's just, I want you to show up, but it's going to be bad if I'm speaking because things just go sideways right off the bat. So as we know, we go into warfare. God has equipped us with this defensive armor, not because he wants us to constantly play on the defense, because the one thing that he does say is we have the sword of the spirit. We are to attack as well. However, to withstand this enemy that's real and present, he's given us certain things that make it possible. He's got the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sandals of the gospel of peace. These are all things that we can defeat the enemy with because no matter what he throws at us, we're able to resist in power and in strength and fight back with the word of God. We need it. You have to have the right equipment. You want to fight a battle, you're not going to go out there naked. That's a bad idea. I'm not a military strategist, but I can tell you that. It's a bad idea. (laughs) Secondly, Jason talked to us last week about the perfect seasoning. No matter what you're cooking on a grill, if it's bland... You could cook it perfectly, it's still going to taste not good, (laughs) right? For sweet and sassy barbecue sauce, (laughs) found locally here at the Sweet and Sassy Factory right here in Fredericksburg, Virginia. What is the world's number one selling, most used seasoning, first come, first serve? Jamie, you said salt. I heard it. Even though you didn't put any word that you mouthed it, come get your barbecue sauce, sir. Awesome. Yeah, it's got salt in it, man. Are you kidding me? This is sweet and sassy barbecue sauce manufactured right here in Fredericksburg, Virginia. So I'm just kidding. They, their barbecue sauce, like, changed my life one time. You know, I was derailing. Everything was going sideways. I had, I had a taste of that sauce, and ever since, my trajectory has gone straight up. So I'm just encouraging you to check it out. It is that good, and I'm not even, it's for reals good. You know what I mean? Legit, okay? Not even kidding. Salt. Salt is the number one uh, seasoning on earth. Salt has many, many functions. The Bible calls us to be the salt of the earth for the final prize. 
sweet and sassy barbecue sauce. Manufactured here in Fredericksburg, Virginia. What is the biblical use for salt? Said, whoa, 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 hand up first, go. Bang, what? Promote healing. I like what you're saying, but I'm going to decline you, sir. That is not exactly what last week we talked about. Give me another one. Good try, though. Preservation. Salt doesn't heal. It slows down decay. Chris, would you come and claim your prize? That's my wife. Yes, it is. Hey, that's my friend. All right. Good job. Salt slows down decay. It, it doesn't stop it. It doesn't reverse it, it slows it down. So we were called to be the salt of the earth. Why? Because the earth is sick with sin. Our disobedience to God causes decay. That decay is rapid and rampant. However, salt slows that process down a ton. More salt, slower the process. So we're called to be that in this world. All right, so we've established that. We, we understand we need the full armor of God. We need the right implements. We need the right seasoning. If any of you have ever been in the hospital and they give you the no salt, you understand what it, eating food without salt is. So it's no good. Sorry for you hospital workers here, but you, you're killing people. No salt? Come on, what's wrong with you, man? I mean, what? I mean, how is that good? The body's made of salt, man. It doesn't make sense. All right, but one of the most difficult parts of... You would think, I mean, do you guys see that, like, what is going on with that, man? I mean, I've got the driest mouth, and yet, this, <laughs> I, this, I just want to go to camp and get it over with you. Can I just do that already, man? Watch the replay from last service. All right. Whew. Okay. The hardest part of barbecuing is the timing. All right, you can have all the right implements. You can have the best grill in the world. You can have the finest spatula. I saw SpongeBob. He's got like a spatula that rotates. It's awesome. You can have all of that. You can have the greatest sweet and sassy seasoning that you have just meticulously applied, the finest of barbecue sauces, which we have right here. You can have all of that and with bad timing ruin it all. So timing is important. When to flip is super important. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. But you know the problem with timing, why we struggle with it so much? Has anybody, <laughs> there it goes again. Has anybody seen uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the original one? I mean, no offense to Johnny Depp. I love me some Johnny Depp, man. I appreciate most of his characters. But I mean, he just, he's no Gene Wilder. All right, I mean, bottom line. And the Oompa Loompas, they all look the same. No, I like the little orange guys. I mean, I can't believe they, they man, they messed that all up. But anyway, in the original Willy Wonka, one of my favorite scenes is Veruca Salt. I love Veruca. Daddy, I want an Oompa Loompa now. Give me an Oompa Loompa, Daddy. I want a golden goose right now. I want the world. I want the whole world. That's the best. I love Veruca Salt because she reminds me of me. I want it all, and I want it now. You know what I mean? You ever felt that way? You know it. You just want it. We stink at timing because if you ask us when's the right time, right now. I want a vacation. When? Right now. I want my paycheck right now. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we're the type of people that walk up to a stove and ask for heat before we put wood in it. I mean, we want what we want, and we want it now, most of the time without putting the effort in. This hat is 
literally lava. <laughs> All right, so I don't even know how that is. All right, do you know the difference in a good joke and a bad joke? Timing. Oh, man, I screwed that up. Do you know the difference in a good joke and a bad joke? Timing. Gah. Do you know the difference in a good joke and a bad joke? Timing. If you can say something perfectly, but if you get the timing wrong, it's going to sound stupid. So we struggle with timing. We stink at it. We're no good at it. You, know, you ever seen somebody that struggles with timing on the grill? Or, or <laughs> that was... That was planned. That was bad timing right there. Right. That, that is a timing fail right there, okay? Uh, that is somebody that, that fell asleep at the wheel. Oh, thanks, man. Thank you. So, see? Okay. Yeah. What? That is what I'm talking. Uh, we'll talk about them later because that's my family right there. I love them, folks. Thanks for that. Now there's just going to be more stuff coming out of my mouth, but it doesn't matter. It's going to be fresh stuff, so that's good. All right, so that's some bad timing, right? There's a, there's a longstanding joke. Again, I swear you guys are so kind. The 9 o'clock service acted like they never heard it before. Maybe I'm the fool because I've heard this a million times in my life, but nonetheless, I'll tell it again. There's a man stranded on his roof. The, the, it has been raining for weeks, and floodwaters are rising. It's above the door, so he's climbed onto his roof, hoping to be rescued of God. A boat comes by. The boat says, get in. Not the boat, the people in the boat. Get in the boat. We're going to take you to safety. No, no, God's got me. He'll take care of me. The boat leaves. Another boat comes along as the water continues to rise. Get in. We'll take you to safety. That's okay. God's got me. I'm going to be fine. And the boat departs. Now the water is up to the, just about his feet. He's at the pinnacle of his roof. A helicopter comes by, drops down his ladder and says, Sir, this is your final chance. Get in the helicopter. We'll take you to safety. He says, No, God's going to deliver me. Sure enough, he dies. He walks in front of God. He said, Lord, why didn't you save me? He said, Hey, dummy, I sent two boats and a helicopter. <laughs> right? Here's the problem. God is doing the work, but many times we're waiting on him to do the work that he's already doing. So we struggle with that. We wait so long. Bef Look, there's three principles of timing that we're going to talk about today. Number one, I'm not going to tell you. Number two, I'm not going to tell you. Number three, I'll tell you God's timing. God has specific timing. I want you to check this verse out because this is the crux of everything in here. If you want an overview of the Bible and a snapshot, you want to know what this entire book entails, it's all written right here. Romans 5, 6, when the time was right, when the time was right, the anointed one died for all of us who were far from God, powerless and weak. When the time was right. You know what that verse tells me? It tells me a lot of things. The first thing that it tells me is God has his timing. And he's executing his plan. He's got his own timing and he is acting upon it. When he sees fit and when the time is right, he's there. He's moving. He's acting. He's constantly working on our behalf for us and with us at just the right time. Just like this, at this point in history, God saw fit to send his son to take our place on a rough wooden cross 
when we could not stand on our own and we had no power to save ourselves and offer himself so that we would be redeemed at just the right time. God has perfect timing. Now the question is, how do we figure it out? So let's spend a little time doing that. But before we do, we're going to unpack bad timing. All right. Note takers. Anybody like to take notes on the little card there? Jamie, I see you're one of those guys. I like that. I am not that guy. (laughs) I memorize everything that I hear, but if I write it down, it's gone. I don't know why. It's strange. Number one, wrong time, flipping too late. Flipping too late. Again, show us the picture. This is the example of a late flip, (laughs) okay, or no flip. (laughs) But the reality of it is when you're grilling, it's one of those things, if you're new at it and you're trying to figure out timing, nine times out of ten, you flip too late, all right, because you know you're supposed to let it cook X amount of time. You're not exactly sure, but, and just a little story from my childhood so I can endear myself to you. When I was young, my dad, who was the grill master in my family, as all patriarchs are, Supposed to be, at least. Some of them don't really pull it off. It's okay. It's not their fault. My dad was the man. You know, when he would grill for the family, like, he had this magical grill. It just delivered perfect food all the time. It was unbelievable. And so I would go out and observe the master at work. I mean, it was like, I don't know, watching Tchaikovsky play. I'm like, wow, look at it go. And so I would watch him just work the grill, you know, and he would put everything on it, seemingly at just the right spacing and everything, and then he would stare off into the sky and contemplate nature and, and like, you know, look at, at Pluto. Is it a planet or not? I'm not sure, but he would, he would contemplate those things, and he would think about the underpinnings of life. That, that really wasn't happening. Honestly, he was just kind of staring at nothing and taking a little break, you know. But I thought that he was solving world hunger at that point. But the grill was just producing magical stuff. He was awesome at it. It's like it was effortless. And so he raised me that way, watching that. Well, the day came, and it was my time to grill. You know what I mean? So I got the exact make and model grill that my dad had, which was totally outdated, you know, but I thought that's where the good stuff came from. So I get that, and I remember uh, I slapped the burger patties on the old grill there, and I literally, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Wow, that was weird. It came through the hands there. Awesome. So I'm going to keep saying that because it's freaking me out, man. I'm going, I've got Kaiser. I'm going to get it checked out right after service. So at any rate, I'm watching the meat, and I'm like, waiting on the magic signal that my dad apparently got from the grill that told him it was the right time to flip, yet it never came. You know, so then I realized that's why they make thermometers and meat timers. <laughs> he had a timer. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he just like, he just never told me. But anyway, secrets that you find out later. So I would just like sit there and watch it. I'm like, oh man, I hope I get this. The problem with grilling is distractions. Everybody has best intentions to, to flip at just the right time. It's just that we get distracted. And does anybody grill here at all? I don't care what you grill if you're meat, vegetarian, doesn't matter. Everybody, it's fun to grill stuff. So when you're grilling, you all know the devil sends children <laughs> out at you. 
I mean, you're on your deck. You're in your place, man. You're, do, you're doing your thing. This is, this is my kingdom. This is, well, I, I am producing food for my family. It is the most primal of things. I am giving you food. And yet, your kids come out, and they start asking you questions and wanting to do these things. And you say to yourself, where are they from? Why are they here? Why are you disturbing my process? And so you shoo them away so you can focus back on the task at hand. And then the dogs come. The dogs charge you and like they're waiting on this magical dripping to fall from this hot thing. And they're oblivious to everything around them except for that drip, man. Please, something fall here, you know? And so they circle around you and like, you know, they're doing that whole thing and you're like, for real? And then so you, you finally master the dogs and put the gate up and get them out and, and it's the bugs. The bugs. The Lord of the flies descends upon you and their one sacrificial fly, the one who's decided to kamikaze you, they know they're probably going to die, but they still all around you, man. And you can't focus and you got your electrified tennis racket and you're trying to hit them and whatever you're doing. But the fly's distracting you and before you know it, you missed your flip. You know, you missed your flip. Let me tell you a story out of scripture. Jesus spoke in parables. A parable is a word picture. It's a, it's a story, as it were, where the characters were easily identifiable with yourself. You see, it's easy to tell a story because if you're listening to the story, you can find your character in that story. We all identify with these characters. We know that, that we live our lives very similar. Oftentimes, we take people in the Bible and we put them on a pedestal that they don't belong on because they put their tunics on just like us, one foot at a time. <laughs> Maybe. I've never worn a tunic. I'm not. But nonetheless, they're just like us. They're real. They make mistakes for all to read. So they're real. But Jesus told us a great story. Matthew 25. He says, the kingdom of heaven is this way. It will be like 10 bridesmaids who each picked up a lantern and went out to meet a certain bridegroom. Five of these women were sensible, good with details, and remembered to bring small flasks of oil for their lanterns. But five of them were flighty, too caught up in the excitement of their jaunt and forgot to bring oil with them. The bridegroom did not turn up right away. Indeed, all the women, while waiting, found themselves falling asleep. And then in the middle of the night, they heard someone call, the bridegroom is here. Finally, wake up and greet him. The women got up, trimmed the wicks of their lanterns, and prepared to go greet the groom. The five women who had no oil turned to their friends for help. Please give us some of your oil. Our lanterns are flickering. We'll go out soon. But the five women who'd come prepared with oil said they didn't have enough. If we give you some of our oil, we'll run out too soon. You'd better go wake up a dealer and buy some of your own supply. So the five ill-prepared women went in search for oil to buy. While they were gone, the groom arrived. The five who stood ready with their lanterns accompanied him to the wedding party, and after they arrived, the door was shut. Let me give you a little history. In ancient times, in biblical times, the wedding ceremony was one of the, the pinnacles of culture. It was a really, really big deal. The bridegroom, the groom, would traditionally wait a year for his wife to be ready. At great personal expense and familial expense, he would select this bride, or actually was selected for him nine times out of ten, and he would wait until she was totally ready, and then they would have a small private ceremony. 
The big part was the party. The ceremony was private, but the party was major. And so what would happen is they would have bridesmaids. They would have these um, young women selected. It was a great honor. And part of the game was the bride and groom never told them when they were coming. They could show up at any time during the wedding day and have them uh, and collect the bridesmaids and go on to the party. So they always had to be ready. It was just a fun game that they played, honestly. All right. But it has, it has its uh, pictures in, in, in history. So if they came at night, then the, the bridesmaids would carry lanterns of fire. What do you think they used if they came during the daytime? Anybody? Take a wild stab. Pots of smoke. Do you know why they used lanterns and smoke? Because when the Lord led the people out of captivity in Egypt, during the day, he was a pillar of smoke, and at night, a pillar of fire. What these women would do is they were granted with the great honor of leading the bride and groom as God led his people out of captivity. And they would light the way with the fires of God as they led them to the party. Great, great honor. So imagine 10 of these women being selected, 10 of them having the same opportunity and the same amount of time. Only five of them thought enough to have enough oil. Five didn't. They procrastinated. They all had the same amount of time. Only five of them used the time wisely. Why would Jesus tell us this? Well, I read something really interesting about procrastination. Procrastination shows a general lack of respect for the task at hand or any other persons in which the task involves. Now, that that really slapped me in the face. You want to know why? I have to take this off. Sorry. Cool. I'm a procrastinator. See, I was raised that I did my best work under pressure. If I waited to the last minute, somehow my creative juices would flow extra well. Apparently, they're coming out of my mouth. That's how much they flow. It's pretty good, right? They, they would really, really, I mean, I would get going. I would do an awesome job, and I, I always made it at the nick of time and was always praised and did a good job. Well, my mom did the same thing. She raised me that way. But what I, what I started to realize was what's our most valuable commodity? Time our time. And when we procrastinate, what we're essentially saying is, this task, I'm not going to give any extra time to. And the people involved in this task, I'm going to give you no extra time. It's, it's, it's almost like blowing them off saying, you're not worthy of my time. So when you look at it that way, all of a sudden, these five bridesmaids who were honored to represent God in a wedding processional who couldn't find the time to go get the oil that they knew they were going to need was really a slap in the face to the bride and groom, wasn't it? This is a serious picture, folks, and I want you to understand it. I really, 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 really want you to understand it. Spiritual procrastination shows a general lack of respect for the Messiah. Here's the thing. Eventually, these women found an oil dealer. They they woke somebody up. They, They beat the door down probably. We need oil. We need oil. And they got that oil, and they put it in their lamps, and they they moved into uh getting over to the party and they banged on the door. And the bridegroom slides open the slide and he looks out and they say, Master, we're here. We have the oil. We're ready now. Let us in. Let us in. And he said one of the greatest rebukes 
of ancient times. This literally was what, the, the, if you heard this from somebody, they're basically saying, I never want to see you again. He said, I don't know you. Get away from me. He disavowed them. Did he know them? Of course he did. He selected them for a place of honor. But after they showed such little respect, unfortunately, he had to rebuke them and say, I never knew you. Get away from me. Ultimate insult and the ultimate price. God's talking to us right now. Folks, he is inviting some of you right now. Some of you have already said yes, but some of you are teetering. He's inviting you to a relationship with himself. He is calling you into relationship with himself. And he's calling you now. But we want to procrastinate. We're scared. We're not sure. He's calling you now. Right now. He's telling you to flip. Don't wait too long to flip. He's yelling at you, flip, flip, flip now. Now's the time. Don't wait too long because you know what's going to happen if you wait too long. Don't wait too long. Flip now. He's calling you into relationship. But unfortunately, not all of us are wisely going to accept the call. We're going to wait. Make no mistake. This is the part that the world hates. There is a time when it's too late. There is a time when it's too late and the door is closed. I'm sorry to deliver that message to you, but Jesus clearly taught it and you need to know it. Don't wait too long to flip, especially if you're being called now. Heed the words of the Lord. Well, look, there's a wrong time to flip. It's too late. There's a right time, isn't there? There's a wrong time and there's a right time. Sometimes when it's the right time, you know that God has called you into something. He wants you to do something. You know it. You're just not sure when, right? Check out this video. This is kind of what it looks like. There's a lot of latte treat just for you. Surprise! The smack ball hands out a nasty part. Two-year-old bingo floor court. Oh, Ashley, go tell. Yeah, I get the perfect call for a bingo clerk's wife. Well, I beg to differ. Yeah, hi. Oh, no worries, Steve. The smack ball has been greeting everybody just that gently all day. Oh, hello. Oh. Aloha. Konnichiwa. <laughs> oh, shalom. Hola. <laughs> good afternoon, good evening, and good night. If you're having a bad day, trust me, watch Wipeout and you see if people are having a worse day than you. It's a blast, man. I love it. But here's the funny part about that show. It's so much like our lives. We know that God's calling us to do something. We know that there's a purpose. We know that we're supposed to spiritually get from point A to point B. We're just not sure when to go. And so just like those people were like, no time like the present. And they go. If they worked on the timing a little bit, if they'd waited patiently a little bit, there's a much higher probability that they could have made it through, especially if you'd seen the show before. But they didn't. 
They ran for it, ended up face down in the mud. I, I think it's hysterical. <laughs> I really do. But sadly, it reminds me of my own spiritual life too often. Too often. See, what happens is there's a right time, it's, but it's flipping too early. Why is it right time flipping too early? Because it's only right to us. It's only right to us. See, we get so excited to flip. I mean, we know those procrastinators who need to flip, but they haven't pulled the trigger yet. They can't flip because they're, they're scared. But we also know what it feels like to be so excited that we're like, man, I'm ready to flip. And if anybody's ever grilled a chicken breast on a grill and tried to flip it too early, too early, <laughs> then you know that's what you get, right? Half your chicken stuck to the grill. Because it's not time yet. It's not ready to be flipped. We needed a little more patience. But we want to do it so bad. And we know we have to do it. We're just not sure when to do it. So we just say, heck with it. Let's give it a shot. We flip it, half the chicken's on the grill. Now you got chicken salad. <laughs> you know? But it's so much like our lives. But there's a couple of biblical characters here that... Um, that, that really teach us what, what happens when, that ha when we flip a little bit too early. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel 13, 8 through 12, I'm going to tell you the story. Um, you can read it. It's a great story. So this is the story of King Saul, okay? King Saul was the, uh, the selected king, the first king of Israel. They selected him because he was the tallest, best-looking, physical specimen. I'm a descendant of Saul. Much like me, he was the guy, they selected him, he was the best hunter, the best warrior, the best everything. So they selected Saul to lead the kingdom. They, he was the best of, of Israel had to offer, but he had a fundamental flaw. That flaw was because God selected him and, he, and God put him on the throne, he thought he could do whatever he wanted whenever he wanted to do it. Now, you might be saying to yourself, well, that, yeah, that's a king type thing to do. Trust me, we all share that. When we think that God has called us to do something, when we really think that's the case, we'll do whatever we got to do to pull it off. If it's a good thing, we just charge ahead and do it many times. We just go for it because it's a good thing to do. And we assume that because we're doing it for God and it's a relatively good thing, we can just do it whenever we want to. Let me prove to you that that's not the case. In these days, there were three particular uh, posts, God-appointed posts. There was the prophet, the priest, and the king. Anybody want to know why there were three? This is fun. This is like the minutia. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These three offices represent the Trinity. And it's funny that people say that the uh, Israelites didn't understand the Trinity. They most certainly did. But... The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are represented here in the king, prophet, and priest. The king had specific duties. So did the prophet, so did the priest. Now, the way it worked was Saul being the king, his job was to get an army together and get ready to fight. Okay, so he amassed the army. Samuel, who was the prophet, his job would come to offer sacrifice and invite God into the battle to lead and to give victory. All right, so they would pay homage to God, and then they would go out and fight. They'd go out and win. Every single time, it was clockwork. Saul brought the army. Samuel did the sacrifice. They went out and kicked butt. All right? So this time, Saul did his job. He amassed the army. 
No Samuel. It's not here. So he waits a day. No big deal. Samuel's getting old. You know, takes a while. Then he waits three days, five days, seven days. At this point, Saul's army is starting to leave because they sense that there's a problem. They said, if Samuel is not coming, maybe this battle isn't of God. Maybe we shouldn't be fighting. So we're just going to go back home. Let us know if something changes. Saul sees his army beginning to scatter. He panics. So he does the sacrifice himself. He oversteps his bounds. He crosses rolls. And he performs the job of the prophet. The moment of the sacrifice, Samuel walks up. Saul, what have you done? What have you done? Samuel, you weren't here. My people were leaving. I love God. We always sacrifice. This is always what we do. I thought it would be okay if I did it without you. And Samuel says, unfortunately, Saul, because you lacked patience and you disobeyed God, because this is something that we do together, God has removed his hand from you. You're no longer to to have a throne for eternity. He selected somebody else to rest his hand upon. He lost everything because he flipped too early. He flipped too early. It was the right thing to do. God anointed right thing to do that they did over and over again, but he flipped too early and he did it without Samuel and the rest of the people in community. Now, we might be saying, okay, so that does stink for him. Boo-hoo. What what does that have to do with us? Well, let me tell you another story very quickly. Genesis 16 through Genesis 21, tells the story of Abraham. Does anybody know who? Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had father. Well, starting off, he didn't have many sons. He didn't have any. So the first promise that God gives Abraham is like, hey, pick up your family, leave here, go here, and I'm going to give you a son because that's all he wanted. Do this, and I'll do this. Okay, God, I'll do it. And so he leaves his home. He picks up his family. He goes to Beverly Hills. He struck oil. No, that's a different... So, but he, so he picks up and leaves. He does everything he's supposed to do, and he's waiting on the sun, yet no sun shows up. He waits, and he waits, and he waits. God, where's this boy? I need this child. This is why I did everything. Where's this boy? No sun shows up. So don't hold him accountable for this, because this was common practice. His wife, Sarah, brings her handmaiden to him and says, you marry her, she will bear us the son. Surely this is what God wants. So Abraham's like, okay. So he, he marries her also, and they have a son whose name was Ishmael. It's getting good now. All of a sudden, they have Ishmael, and soon after, to cut off about three chapters, they have another son, Isaac. Now, why do you care? The descendants of Ishmael are... The Arabs, the descendants of Isaac are the Jews. Where do the majority of wars take place? And there's been constant strife for generations uncountable. The Middle East between Arabs and the Jews. They have fought continually since that day. The Islamic faith traces their lineage all the way back to Abraham through Ishmael. Why is that important? 
How often can you turn on the television or pick up the newspaper and not read something about ISIS? Killing, beheading, conquering, burning. All of that, all of that came because Abraham flipped too early. Do you realize that the world is embroiled in war today because he couldn't wait a little longer? That's the power of flipping too early. That's the power of having a promise from God and God saying yes, but not saying go. That's the problem. It's not just you, it's all of us involved. All of us. We're meant to do things together. We are strong together. Following God's recipe was meant to do it together. We're supposed to be doing this together. If you run ahead of God, you cause far-reaching damage. Well, I told you, there's the wrong time, there's the right time, and there's God's time. Let's unpack that and take just a couple of minutes. Here's the thing with God's timing. Jesus was the perfect example of understanding that. In John chapter 7, the story is that Jesus' actual brothers, now not, not the disciples, but his actual brothers, who were just starting to believe who he was and what he was capable of, understanding that, yeah, we, we saw his diapers getting changed and we saw him, you know, skin his knee, but... I guess he's the Messiah because he does all this stuff and he's fulfilled all this prophecy. He must be the guy. So there's a festival, Feast of Booths in Jerusalem. And they say, Jesus, let's go up to the festival and introduce you. Let's let everybody know that the Messiah is here. Let's start this process. Let's light this candle. Let's get it going. You're the guy. Let's do it. And Jesus says to them, he says in John 7, 6 through 8, my time has not yet arrived. But for you, my brothers, by all means, it's always the right time. You have nothing to worry about because the world doesn't hate you. But it despises me because I'm always exposing the dark evil in its works. Go on to the feast without me. I'm not going right now because my time is not yet at hand. Jesus could have very easily, knowing that God called him to go and make himself known, just said, you know what, I'm going now. I got the power. That was kind of a He-Man reference. That was good. I've got the power. I'm the guy. I can do it. Let's just go get this over with and do it right now. But he knew now's not the right time. It's not the right time. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. Jesus had perfect timing. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul discusses this also. Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. And let me tell you something. In the interest of time, I'm going to do this quickly. But I need you, promise me, man, please, Go home and read 2 Corinthians 6. Read it and understand it. It is so powerful because Paul really unpacks all of this for us in this scripture. He's quoting Isaiah and he says, when the time was right, I listened to you, God saying this, and that day you were delivered, I was your help. Paul says, look now, the time is right. And I'm telling you, today, right here, Salem Fields, right here online, Right here, Rubicon, the time is now for you to respond. It's time to flip now. It's time to turn, that was a good one. It's time to turn your heart back over to God and give up 
All those things that are keeping you from the true Christ life, the life of success, the life of strength and honor and glory to God, all of those things, it's time to flip now. Paul says, look, now the time is right. See, your day of deliverance is here. Don't you want to be delivered? Your day is here. We are careful in what we teach so that our words won't be a stumbling block and so that no one will discredit our ministry. But as God's servants, we commend ourselves in every situation. That means, Paul is saying that we wait on God in every situation. It's not our will, it's his will. And we wait patiently until he says, go. We commend ourselves in every situation. So that with great endurance... We persevere even in anguish and hardship. And this is the uh, description. This is the part of Christianity that people don't like. We have been cornered by the enemy. We've suffered beatings, imprisonments, uproars, toil, sleeplessness, starvation. But they made it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, with purity, understanding, patience, kindness, and sincerest love, they were able to prove themselves because the power of the Holy Spirit, because the armor of God, because the sword of the Spirit, because of the belt of truth, because the helmet of salvation, because of the breastplate of righteousness, and for this very next reason, now with the voice of truth and the power of God armed on the right and armed on the left with righteousness from God, what does that mean? You and me. Together, arm in arm, like spiritual Spartans creating our phalanx, we lock arms and shields together and we march forward together. We don't run ahead. We don't leave the phalanx because when we're diminished by one, we lose it all. We're called to do this in community together, locked left and right in his righteousness and his power and move forward one step at a time, one step at a time, pushing back the enemy, stopping the decay of sin and rescuing person after person, life after life. That's what we're called to do. Ooh, so good. Whether we're respected or loathed, whether we're praised or criticized as frauds, yet true, as unknown to this world and yet well-known to God, we serve him. We are treated as dying and yet we live. We're punished and yet we're not executed. We're sorrowful, but we continually rejoice. We're the poorest of the poor, but we bring richness to the entire world. And though we have nothing, we possess all things. I'm telling you, if you wait on God's timing, if you allow him to prompt you to go, man, if you do those things, then you will experience this life, the Christ life, the successful life you won't have to guess anymore you might be waiting today to flip because you're scared God's calling you to flip now don't procrastinate don't slap the Messiah in the face don't cast disparagement on his cross he's calling you now or you may have said yes to him but you've left us behind You've run ahead thinking, I know something I want to do. It's a good thing. And if they don't see it, then heck with them. I'm going anyway. No, come back. Join arms with us. Left and right, we will march forward together. Together. 
and push back the enemy one step at a time, one person at a time, one life at a time, together. God understands your fear. God understands your excitement. But God has a perfect recipe for your life. The time is today. Salvation is upon you. Deliverance is here now. My daughter, Kaylee, she is the light of my life. She plays Super Mario Brothers like it's her job. She's awesome. She's as good as I've, I trained her well. She was my Padawan. I've trained her, well, that's a Star, Star Wars reference. I may have lost a few of you there, but that grieves me if that's the case. I'm telling you what. Nonetheless, she was my apprentice, and I, my young apprentice. And so I have taught her how to play Mario, with the, imbued her with the, all the knowledge and secret levels and everything that I could possibly do. And, and let me tell you, it pleases me that she has grasped the concept of perfect timing. Mario is a game of perfect timing. Any fool can pick up a remote and play Mario, but very few can do it perfectly. So I videotaped her and one of her greatest successes to leave you with the challenge of running the race of your life in God's perfect timing. Fire the video. Look at her go, man. She knows exactly what's going on here. Oh, better wait. Now, what's cool about this is she gets this coin, and she could have jumped out, but she knows the timing wasn't quite right. So she waits. Oh, she waits again. Now, here's the cool metaphor about life. Because she waited, she got a brand new life. And now, sometimes, instead of waiting, it's time to run. You got to go. It's time. Success. You know, the day's coming at the end of our race when we stand before the Father, and I'm not sure if we're going to have a fire flower, but I will know, I do know that he says that he will whisper to us, well done, well done. You ran the race well. You finished well, well done. And that's because we submitted to his timing. I want to pray with you for a moment. I suspect that there are, just close your eyes, please bow your heads if you don't mind. I, I suspect that there's some people in here who have heard the voice of God calling them. I suspect that there are people in here who know that God is calling you to relationship. You may be online watching, gripping your computer screen, or you may be sitting in the Rubicon, holding your cup tight, or you may be in here antsy, because you know that God's calling you to a relationship. He's been calling you. He called you before you were born. And he's calling you to new life. He's not calling you to punish you. He's not calling you to beat you down for the poor decisions that you made even as late as this morning. He's not calling you to be the big cop. What he's calling you is to freedom in relationship. I suspect there is someone here who God is telling you it's time to flip now. Don't wait. If you're here, I'm gonna pray for you. I would ask you that during this last song, you would come forward. I'll pray with you right now. I would ask you to give up, flip, and 
come up here right now and let me pray with you because you have nothing to gain but eternity and a brand new life. But there are some of you also that said yes to God a long time ago and you got so excited that you just ran for it. You grabbed hold of a good thing and you ran for it, but you left us behind. I want to walk with you. I want to lock arms with you. I want to stand shield to shield with you, left and right, brothers and sisters, pushing the enemy back together. We are stronger together. I would beg you to come home, lock shields with me, and let's do this together. God's calling you to flip. God's calling you to flip. Now's the time. Salvation is now. Deliverance is now. Father God, whomever you have called in this place, give them the courage to flip now, wherever they are. We invite you. We are humbled by your presence. I am thankful that the enemy has been rebuked from this place. And I am thankful that lives are being changed by the power of your Holy Spirit and your word and the protections that you have given us. Let us never forsake them. It's your timing, God. At just the right time, you came. In the name of Jesus, please stand and worship.